dinner, dining, shopping, and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com And from listeners like you. Hello, hello, and welcome to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday, Patricia Robayo. It's Friday. We made it. We're alive, we're breathing, we're in the moment. I hope you're doing well and hope you're safe. In the second half of the show, we'll be checking in with the host of a new podcast. On our Community Voices podcast page from Arlo Tomacek and their podcast, Poetry Walks. We'll find out what the podcast is all about. But first, it's Friday on the local edition. And every Friday, we check in with the one and only Chris Rowley from the Shonka Journal to see what's happening in Ellenville and Ulster County. Chris, welcome to the show. I've heard, or you were talking earlier to me, uh, that you were having a conversation with your local SPCA. What was that conversation about? Was I did a nice interview with um, uh, Gina Carbonari, who's the director at uh, SPCA in in, in uh, Kingston, and. Uh, I'm learning a couple of things. First, first of all, every every SPCA is an independent five hundred one c three. They're all independent nonprofits. Um, uh, the ASPCA is simply the largest SPCA. It's not like the ASPCA is an overall umbrella for them all. Um, they all work independently. Um, and of course, right now it's you know fundraising time. Um, it's it's a difficult period. Lots of animals have been surrendered or whatever. And uh, so it was an interesting interview to do. Um, I spoke to her before, uh, so uh, she was used to this. <laughs> this is good. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, learned a few things. They they take all kinds of animals, um, but not horses and not cattle. Um, those are just too big. Um but they've taken chickens and, you know, all, all kinds of uh, farm animals. Um, but they don't tend to take farm animals if they're just being surrendered. They tend to take farm animals if there's a some horrible situation involving uh, animals being rescued. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of dogs there and a lot of cats that need homes. So anybody wants to uh, give a... Give a rather disappointed dog that's uh, wondering why, what happened, and what did it do wrong. Um, you know, go take, go, to, go, get up to Kingston, take a look, give them a call. Um, they'll vet you, and uh, you can see the dog. Um, and the same goes with cats. There's so many cats uh, that need homes, and um, the other side. Of- I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, those articles coming out about how folks were getting animals because they were home now. They were now had to go remote and they had more time. They wanted companionships. 
And so they got animals. And I remember filing away a thought of mine of was uh, as soon as pandemic subsided somewhat, uh, folks are either going to try to get rid of the dogs because they realize they can't handle it. Right. That's that's exactly what happened. A lot of people, I mean, and, and it went right across the board because a lot of people got, got pet animals. And then as soon as the pandemic was over, they got busy again and they found they didn't really have time for the animals. So just surrender them or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Some people are very casual about the lives of these animals, which I find kind of horrifying. But there you go. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, having a pet is a huge responsibility and not only in resources, but also time because you have a pet for a very, very long time. You know, sometimes dogs 12, 12, 12 13 years, cats, I hear 15 years. So <clears throat> yeah, people shouldn't take on dogs unless they really understand what they're getting into. Um, and this is especially true with, like, say, big dogs. You know, I mean, you got to <laughs> got to understand. If you're going to get a hundred pound animal, you know that it's got the issues come with that. You know, um, you know, and, and it's the same with cats. You know, if you, if you get a cat, it really, you, you're basically taking on a fifteen year commitment. That's how long usually that's the average life. Um, although you can also have you know total monster bastard cats like Amos, <laughs> who's up here in the corner of my computer screen. He, he died last year at 21. And he was the, mean, he was the meanest MFO that I have ever met. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway. 21 years old. Yeah, 21. Yeah, quite, quite, quite something. Yeah, wow. This is, this is a long, long time. That's a, that's a long way. It's like being like, like 105 or something for us. But anyway, he, he, he was, he was a particularly, um, old school kind of cat. But um, not cuddly, <laughs> not warm and fuzzy. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to get into that. But the other thing I, I learned was with the pandemic was a lot of people did leave the city. They came up here and they got all kind of um, country farmer. And they sort of went out and got themselves uh, chickens. Well, okay, chickens. Okay. But they also got ducks. Now, the issue, ducks are not as easy to handle as chickens. Ducks need ponds, they need water. And um the the kind of ducks that a lot of people got and they got them at pet stores or wherever, um were the wrong kind of ducks because they were non flying ducks. They're white meat ducks, right? Raised you know, the Long Island white duck. So when they wanted to abandon them, these people often did really terrible things like drive to the Delaware River and push the ducks out onto the river. Yeah, I heard these horror stories from Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary, you know, because they were they were gathering rescued ducks. And there were ducks that were sort of being pulled out of the river and didn't know what they were doing, where they were. And because they can't fly, they they just used the phrase sitting ducks for hawks. Yeah, and if you've ever been driving around in like Selvig County, you I'm sure you have witnessed you know, a hawk going after his food and, and it's like, you know, they sky bomb straight from the trees or from the sky and, and, you know, bam, you see them grab the food out of, out of the pond or the fish or squirrel. It's like amazing to see. They get very single minded about it. I've had, I've had a hawk kill something right beside the car going around a corner, going downhill. And this hawk just dropped out of the tree, literally right in front of the car. I thought it was going to run it over. But it would then bang and hit the squirrel in the in the ditch on the side there, 
And I sort of braked and looked back, and he was flying away with Squirrel. I mean, they're incredible athletes, and you know, they 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 just they're intent on lunch, and that's it. Well, we're talking to Chris Raleigh from the Chilonka Journal, letting us know what's happening in Ellenville and also County, and talking about rescue pets. Uh, you could catch Chris tomorrow on the Reporters Roundtable. He'll be joined by with. Leah Mayo of the River Reporter, Joseph Abraham from the Sullivan County Democrat, and Philip Pontuso from the River Newsroom, and myself will be hosting the Reporters Roundtable on Radio Chatskill starting at 10 o'clock. And you can hear what else is going on in Ellenville and Ulster County. Chris, I'll see you again. Well, I should say I should uh, be talking to you again in two weeks. Take care. Talk soon. Take care. Moving right along, let's take a look what else is happening in the rest of the region. For the New York News Connection, a new poll for the American Federation of Teachers outlines what parents and voters want from public education. It also shows what parents and voters feel are top priorities for education. It does that same agenda from some policymakers have been pushing. Comments from Kara McCormick-Lyons, president of the White Plains Teachers Association and vice president of the American Federation of Teachers. Edward Vera has more. A new poll shows parents and voters want improved public education and stronger building blocks for those students. According to the poll from the American Federation of Teachers, some of the top priorities include reducing class size, helping schools address the shortage of qualified education professionals, and teaching students practical life skills. Conversely, issues described as the culture wars, like opposing a woke agenda or removing offensive books, were a low priority. Kara McCormick-Lyons with the American Federation of Teachers says some teachers fear getting in trouble for teaching honest history or introducing kids to different experiences. She identifies why these issues are far from people's minds. Voters really see that the culture wars are a distraction from what's important and from what kids need, which is, again, focusing on the social emotional part of school, focusing on the fundamentals and the building blocks to success. Only 34% of those surveyed felt addressing these issues is necessary to prevent students from being indoctrinated into a liberal agenda. Along these lines, 27% of voters and 21% of parents think teachers go too far in promoting a woke political agenda in the classroom. The poll also notes 80% of those surveyed say improving the quality of public schools is a top priority instead of providing a wider choice of schools. With all the information this poll provides, McCormick Lyons describes what the future of public education needs to be. If we really want the promise of a better future for our children to come to fruition, we all have to come together and advocate so that they can get the basic fundamentals in a safe and welcoming environment where everyone feels welcome and is available to learn because they have have the services that they need. Along with this, McCormick Lyons finds there are concerns about learning loss from the COVID-19 pandemic. One priority she feels embodies this need is the want to expand literacy and reading programs. I'm Edwin J. Vieira, New York News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Moving right along, another report from Edwin, Edwin Vieira. New York State is looking at alternate requirements for graduation outside of the Regents exam. Through multiple options are up for consideration. Student advocates in the state have some ideas on what this new graduation system could look like. Comments from Juliet Einstein, from Juliet Einstein, senior staff attorney, 
Pulse Readiness Project, and Advocates Up for Children of New York. Edwin Vieira has more. Student advocates in New York are petitioning state education officials for alternate pathways to graduation. The Coalition for Multiple Pathways to a Diploma has sent a petition signed by 1,200 New Yorkers to state leaders, urging them to separate Regents exams from graduation requirements. This is based on a report from the Comprehensive Care Network for the New York State Department of Education and the State Board of Regents. It examines multiple pathways to graduation for students and finds exit exams don't always lead to the best student outcomes. Juliet Eisenstein, with the nonprofit Advocates for Children of New York describes some of the options the state could consider for students to have in lieu of Regents exams. I think the most important thing is that students have access to real-world opportunities, opportunities to build up real-world skills, whether that be through access to work-based learning experiences, internships that they can get credit for, career and technical education classes, performance-based assessments instead of testing. Should the state commit to any of these alternatives, she wants to ensure students have access to the resources for these paths to graduation. Numerous states have decoupled exams, reduced the weight these exams carry, or found alternatives. Currently, only eight states, including New York, use exit exams as a requirement for graduation. Eisenstein notes the pandemic has provided insight into how decoupling regents exams from graduation requirements can benefit students. There's been a lot of changes to graduation requirements during the pandemic, which in some ways have really complicated the graduation system, but also have shown that there are other ways to measure student learning and student mastery of content without high-stakes testing. She remains confident a new system for graduation can be created after seeing how the pandemic has altered student learning. With revising what determines a student's readiness for graduation, Eisenstein hopes students will be able to demonstrate what they've learned in different ways. I'm Edwin J. Vieira, New York News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Thank you so much, Edwin Vieira, on the New York News Connection for those reports. Before we get to our next guest, just let you know that we have been trying out some potential new programs from new DJs. Coming up in place of low stakes this week, we have electronic hair pieces with Nikki Bodo. After the show, let us know what you think. Email manager at wjffradio.org. Also tonight on The Deep End, Jeff Loeffler plays tribute to the late California musician David Crosby. Featuring music from The Birds, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Crosby solo albums from the 70s till today. That's happening at 10 o'clock tonight on The Deep End. Coming up for you on the local edition, we'll be talking to Arlo Tomacek about the podcast Poetry Walks, a new podcast on our Community Voices podcast page. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after a short break. You are listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local.
Hi, I'm NPR climate reporter Lauren Summer. If you're thinking your next car will be electric, you can double your good karma by donating your old car to this station. Not only could you have a smaller carbon footprint, your old car will help fund more of NPR's award-winning environmental coverage. It's double karma. Upgrade your car and turn your old one into more news. Here's how. We accept any vehicle. Donate at WJFFradio.org. You're not taking our gas stoves away from us. On this week's On the Media, the mere mention of greener appliances generates a whole lot of hot air all the way to the state house. Wyoming is proposing a bill to ban new sales of electric vehicles. On the next On the Media from WNYC. Set it off with your host, Clyde Alvin Yates III. Set it off. Saturday night at 7. Set it off. On Radio Catskill. Black people can't swim. I don't buy that. I come from a history of swimmers. I am Madeline Murphy Rabb, 76 years young. I am Ann Smith, and I am 82. We're training for the National Senior Games. The Janice Adams Show, Saturday at noon. This is Ari Shapiro from NPR. If working from home is your new routine and you've got a car you don't need anymore, consider donating it to this station. It could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. Thank you. Go to WJFFradio.org. You're listening to Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Poetry Walks is a podcast that features poets from all around the world. Arlo Tomacek reads their poetry and pairs them with field recordings. Arlo asks you to center yourself through imaginative and calming poems as they guide you through the forest. In this podcast, Step within these relaxing poems that question existence, friendship, activism, love, and self-worth. Arlo's on the phone with us now to tell us more about the podcast. Welcome to the show, Arlo. Uh, Before we get into the podcast, Arlo, you're listed as an audio engineer, dancer, geographer, poet, musician, a certified yoga instructor. Those are just some of the titles you hold, but... Exactly who is Arlo? Yeah, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was a dancer and musician for pretty much all of my life. Um, I went to Bard to study psychology initially, and 
quickly realized that music and dance were still a big part of my life and double majored in dance and electronic music. And I worked with the experimental humanities department to try to make music more accessible um, and specifically Max MSP coding, podcasting more accessible to a broader listenership. You have this podcast about Poetry Walks. You're combining poetry and field recording. So you're doing some production with there. Uh, what was the inspiration for this podcast? In 2020, I created a podcast series, which is now in an oral archive at Bard. It's called Anticipated Futures. And I interviewed over 120 hours worth of student recordings talking about their pandemic hardships. And I created compositions for each one of those interviews. And students were very open and very vulnerable with me. And I found that a lot of students and recent alumni of Bard didn't feel like they had a place in the world um, during the pandemic and didn't feel have that they had a place to share their work because so much of the world was locked down and so many opportunities were dried up. Um, so I wanted to start a podcast series where I could feature some of my favorite writers' words. And that's how Poetry Walk started. And I did not expect to meet people in Honduras and Argentina. I just met an Argentinian poet today and worked with him and uh, Berlin and every, like all over. It's been very humbling. The poetry that you feature on your podcast, how are you finding them? Are these poems, you know, you're finding them in books or online or are, are the poets reaching out to you and presenting you work? It started off that way. I was reading some of my friends' words that I was really inspired by, but quickly within the second week, of starting poetry walks, people came up to me and um, they found the podcast and reached out and asked if their brother could be featured on it, or they knew this poet that was in their reading circle, or I would talk about poetry walks in the line at Hilo when Hilo was around and then meet people through the community. And so it just kind of became much larger than I expected, which was wonderful. And Left Bank also has a series where poets are featured for poetry readings in Catskill. And so I was able to meet a lot of poets that way. And the Hudson Valley is so rich with creativity. Um, so I was, I was really grateful for that. Now you're pairing the poems with food recordings. And I was just curious on what actually comes first. Uh, are you reading the poems and then thinking of the possible sounds and going out there recording? Or do you have like a collection of field recordings that you're going out and doing these uh, in-depth field recordings of nature and, and bringing these and building a catalog? Yeah. So I have about a hundred, over a hundred pre-recorded sounds as a safety net in case my computer breaks down or my field mic is only picking up wind or whatnot. However, I typically listen to the poem first and read the poem and take time with it. And then from there, I pair it with a field recording. 
The poem that I'm featuring today is one of my own works. Um, and I don't, I haven't featured a poem of mine on the podcast ever. Uh, however, many people reached out to me and asked if I was a poet and were curious about why <laughs> I was doing this if, um, I wasn't a poet or why I wasn't sharing my work. And, um, and primarily, primarily that's not the full intention of the space for me, but this piece was published by a publication in Minnesota called the pink moth. And so it felt pertinent to share this poem. The farewell. Let me be small. One small speck on an eternal blue vastness to sink within your teeth, skin. Let me grow and unfold and decay and grow and unfold and decay again. I can sit on the edges of your sentences, a series of interruptions of thoughts, or be home to all your uncut memories. We could make a quilt of half-told ideas and hide ourselves in the stillness of morning. I wrote this poem just before someone I cared for deeply moved across an ocean. I didn't feel sadness, but a desire to say everything and nothing at once. Ours was a relationship in their words that started in the middle of the action. Knowing that they are on this place of existence was enough for me. I'm not sure if you might have felt that before. Listening to their dreams and frustrations felt as though I was four years old again, sitting on the wooden stool my grandmother Mimsy always placed just so for me. I would listen to her sing and talk and help her mix and chop away. There's something so beautiful in the being. Something that we miss when we tend to overschedule or rush through the minutia of our lives. So I hope you find some time to get bored today, or ponder, or let yourself breathe a bit. With that, a second reading. The Farewell. Let me be small, one small speck on an internal blue vastness, to sink within your teeth, skin. Let me grow and unfold and decay and grow and unfold and decay again. I can sit on the edges of your sentences, a series of interruptions of thoughts, or be home to all your uncut memories. We can make a quilt of half-told ideas and hide ourselves in the stillness of morning. Wow, that's great. Arlo, you know, when you are hearing these recordings and hear the, the poem and you're pairing it with, you know, I think that's the right atmosphere. Um, it really does take me to a place that I, I feel like I'm in the forest on a good day, uh, here in the Catskills, especially and um, you know, going for a hike and, and hearing this and, uh, but gladly, you know, you could be in the comfort of your own home and, and, but this podcast does take you there. You mentioned in your podcast description, you give land use acknowledgement. Can you talk more about that? Most of my recordings are from Mohican territory and uh, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma and Oklahoma is 
uh, area of many tribal nations. And when I came to New York, there wasn't really a lot of understanding or, um, yeah, I, I will say understanding of whose land we're on. And it is my belief to honor indigenous peoples and to honor the land that we occupy. No, I think, I think that's great that you are making that acknowledgement. Uh, we can find your podcast on our podcast page now, uh, wjffradio.org slash podcast, or you can find it anywhere you find your favorite podcast. I know I found it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, besides the podcast, where, if anyone w- wants more information about you or, or the podcast, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to my website, which is arlotomichek.com. That's spelled A-R-L-O-T-O-M-E-C-E-K.com. And you can connect with me through choreography or music or however you see fit. Arlo, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about? Yeah, I think um is an essay on deep listening that I find really fruitful and that brought a lot of inspiration to my podcast series. Um, Pauline Oliveros lived in upstate New York for a significant portion of her life, and she believed in listening to each sound with such intensity and clarity and tracing the origin of that sound. So I hope that the listeners take some time today to listen to what may be considered noise and interrogate that and try to find the origin of the blowing of an air conditioner or the buzzing of a car engine and take it with curiosity rather than annoyance. <laughs> we were talking to Arlo Tomatek, who has a new podcast, and you can find their podcast on our page, wjffradio.org slash podcast. And you can find the Poetry Walks podcast on there. Arlo, thank you so much for joining us on the program, and we hope to have you back on soon. Talk soon. Cheers.